Hi, everybody. Sorry, we're running a little behind because the last meeting went to the to right to about 732. <laughs> Hi. I'm just waiting for all the pictures to uh, to settle here before we get going. So we have a good turnout tonight. That's great. All right. Looks like the frames have sort of settled here a little bit. So uh, yeah, so we'll open the open the meeting. I'll turn it over to Porter to give his uh, housekeeping message. Thank you, Jerry. Whoops, somebody else jumping in here. Alicia's coming in. Okay. Okay. Um, thank you, Jerry. Um, just a few housekeeping um, items for the Zoom meeting. I just want to remind everybody the meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel and cable channel 25. Um, a friendly reminder to mute yourself during the meeting when you're not speaking. Um, the chat function for this uh, public meeting is disabled and all chats will go to me. And um, the city reserves the right to mute people or turn individual videos off to minimize distractions during the meeting. And please, everybody remember to state your name each time you speak for the benefit of those who might be, might be participating remotely. And I'll turn it back to Jerry. Great, thanks Porter for that. Uh, appreciate that. So it looks like we've got 7.35. I'll go ahead and call the meeting to order. Uh, at 7.35 and uh, we'll do a roll call here. I'll do it by how they're listed uh, on my list here. So Christina Walker. Here. Joshua Falleaf. Present. Thank you. Marlo Angel. Present. Denise Stone. Mary Dubton. Here. James Alexander. Don't see James. All right, Sarah Curry. So don't see Sarah. Jordan Martinez. Here, um, though I'm having a little bit of trouble with my video. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Dina Amont. Here. And Daniel Smith. Here. Great. And I'm Jerry Johnson and I'm here. So. All right. So uh, first order of business is to approve minutes. Uh, we have because we yeah, so we have two uh, sets of minutes to approve one from the October 13th meeting and one from the November 17th meeting. So let's do those separately. Um, any comments about the October 13th uh, minutes before we uh, uh, get a motion to uh, approve those? Hearing no comments, I would uh, entertain a motion to approve 
Jordan Martinez, I motion to approve the October minutes. Can I get a second? Denise Stone, I second. Great. I will abstain. I wasn't at that meeting. So by show of hands, do we need to do a voice uh, thing as well? Please do a roll. Yeah, do a roll call. Okay, so let me do a roll call. I'll do the roll call in the order that I see you on my screen. So I <laughs> will start with Christina. Approve. Marlo. Approve. Daniel. Approve. Denise. Approve. Dina. Approve. Joshua. Approve. I think Jordan, although you're a camera with a line through it. <laughs> Approve. <laughs> oh, I see your name, so that's good. And um, Mary. Approve. Great. And I will again. I will abstain because I was not present for that meeting. Uh, so that would be unanimous. One abstention. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, and we have a similar activity for the November 17th uh, meeting. Um, any comments before we uh, entertain a motion to approve those minutes? Hearing no comments to those. I'll, I was there at that meeting. I'll move we approve the minutes from that meeting. Jordan Martinez, seconding. Thank you, Jordan. Uh, so, and we'll do a roll call off. Um, and Jerry Johnson, I approve. Um, Christina? Um, I abstain because I wasn't there. Okay, Marlo? Same, I have to abstain, I was not present. Daniel? Approve. Denise? I abstain because this is Denise Stone. I abstain because I was not present. Dina. I was also absent. I'll abstain as well. well this is interesting. Can we approve them without? Because uh, <laughs> we didn't have a we didn't have a quorum. That's, that's, I don't know. I don't know what the ruling is on that. But we'll continue, <laughs> Joshua. <laughs> I don't know. I, I I think we need Robert uh, and his rules of order to determine whether we can do this. But uh, I don't know. I I believe I was present, so I'll approve. <laughs> Great, Jordan. I approve. And Mary. I abstain. I was not there. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know. We'll we'll have to leave that to. Uh, I'll, I'll take care of that. Um, given that there was no action at the last meeting and that it may not have a quorum to pass, we'll we'll figure it out. And yeah, we may we just turn, we may turn it into meeting notes or something and just yeah. put something there. Yeah, I mean, we didn't uh, we 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 knew we didn't have a quorum and we did not. Um, yeah, we didn't do any any uh, business in a final sort of uh, sense. So okay, all right. <laughs> Uh, you know, after nine years, uh, I don't think I've ever seen that one before, but uh, or almost nine years. Uh, 
All right, so we don't uh, we don't stop for public comment here, correct, Porter? Uh, you can call for it. I don't believe there's anybody here that wants to provide public comment, well, but you can well, certainly ask. Well, let's do that since that's where we're at in uh, item C on the agenda. Is there anyone from the public who would like to comment at this point? Yes, my name is Kathy Joris, and I would like to make a public comment. All right. Okay, so I've prepared a statement. I know I only have three minutes. So I'm going to try to whiz through it. I apologize if I'm speaking really quickly, but I haven't timed myself on this. So um, my name is Kathy Joritz. I'm an animator and an artist. I lived in Germany for over 35 years, which is why I find the current art-related COVID restrictions so concerning and alarming. I'm calling upon the Lawrence Arts Commission to openly reject the vaccine and other mandates and stand with artists and all art-loving persons who are being fired, discriminated against, and wrongfully shoved into the segregated group of, undesi of undesirables with less rights than those of vaccinated persons. As we know, many art-related businesses in Lawrence have jumped on the bandwagon of vaccine mandates, uh, COVID testing mandates, and mask mandates. I've yet to see any of these businesses post the science that they're relying on or the legality of those mandates. One example is the Lawrence Arts Center. After informing temporary art faculty that they would be required to either get vaccinated or be tested no more than 24 hours prior to their classes, Margaret Morris, the CEO of the Lawrence Arts Center, told the part-time instructors that the Arts Center would not compensate them for any adverse side effects of the vaccine, nor for being tested. Because the pharma companies are exempt from liability, the places that administer the shots are exempt from liability, and employers, like the Lawrence Arts Center, refuse to accept liability, nobody is accountable should employees suffer seizures, paralysis, fever, heart issues, blood clots, or even death, as we know these, these vaccines have caused. And remember, we are talking about part-time art instructors who are highly, ta highly talented artists who receive an hourly wage and are not health insured by the Lawrence Art Center. These type of mandated risks at the expense of artists' lives is exploitive and unacceptable, especially by art organizations such as this one, or I should say, especially art organizations such as this one should be at the forefront of defending personal freedom and appalled at artist exploitation. While we hear the mantra, follow the science over and over again, the art businesses in Lawrence continue to ignore the science that show that masks are useless in preventing COVID because the airborne virus particles are so tiny. The art businesses in Lawrence ignore the fact that vaccinated persons can transmit COVID just like unvaccinated persons can, and they discriminate against those who cite religious and medical exemptions by forcing those people to get tested or lose their jobs while vaccinated persons are never forced to get tested. While our Republican representatives refer to the Holocaust as comparison uh, to the mandates, um, referred to the Holocaust, yeah, when referring to the mandates, people were aghast at that comparison. However, having lived in Germany, I know that their inartful descriptions were actually correct. They just formulated them horribly. From the website, Experiencing History, Holocaust Sources, uh, in context, I'm quoting right now, the Nazis often portrayed those they persecuted as vermin parasites or diseases. Nazi ideology for focused on the idea that Germany's racial purity was under attack from the blood of weaker peoples and Nazi propaganda often depicted Jews um, as so um, as threatening the overall health of the so-called Volksgemeinschaft, which was the German community. Um, I'm still quoting, for example, the cover of the Mr. April 15th. That's three minutes. I'm past my three minutes. I'd like to then just 
for, to end this up, I'd like to state three laws that were passed in Germany during the Third Reich that I think are applicable today. May I do so? Three laws. That's all I want to state. State them. Okay. Uh, in early 1934, the Nazi government forbade Jewish actors to perform on the stage or screen, which is similar to non-vaccinated persons today in many art organizations. On July 11th in 1938, the Third Reich Ministry of the Interior banned Jews from health spas, which I'm certain is applicable today. And this is an art related, but the banning of being able to go to locations is certainly applica applicable for non-vaccinated persons, um, always due to the so-called health risks. On November 28th, 1938, and we're talking about the time before Jews were rounded up, right? We're talking about before that time, the time that's leading up to the Jews being rounded up. On November 28, 1938, the Reich Ministry of the Interior restricted the freedom of movement of the Jews. So thank you for allowing me to mention those laws. I think they're all applicable to today's situation. And I would just ask uh, the Arts Commission to please look at the science and ignore, you know, places like NPR that are funded to the tune of millions by Bill Gates Foundation. Specifically thank you. for healthcare thank you messaging. For your, Kathy, thank you for your comments. We appreciate your uh, attendance and your comments tonight. Um, all right, so moving on to new business. Um, we have uh, a presentation by the city manager, Craig Owens, uh, for uh, about the strategic plan. And uh, do I need to turn it back over to you, uh, Porter, for any words before that, or can we go straight to Mr. Owens? I think you can introduce Mr. Owens. I'm, I, I have to say, I am uh, super excited for this presentation and to have Mr. Owens uh, present at our uh, commission meeting tonight is, uh, is exciting to me uh, for one and welcome and thank you for taking the time to talk to us tonight. Well, thank you very much for having me. City Manager Craig Owens, um, I, I really appreciate uh, getting some time uh, with you and um, also, you know, just to start with all the uh, the work that you do, uh, the advisory boards and commissions uh, that, that do um, this important work. And um, so I, I'm, I'm making some rounds. We have 48 boards and commissions. Um, I'm not um, at least initially scheduling uh, to attend all of those meetings, but there are several that um, are very active and that I think it's useful for um, me to um, just kind of outline this strategic plan that you've heard so much about, hopefully that you participated in, uh, in the development of. And um, it, it, it's in, in why it's important to your work and why it's why it's guiding to the work that we're doing here and kind of the outline the genesis of it and the framework and how it how it functions. Um, so I'm going to do that as rapidly, but um, uh, I'll pause for uh, any questions along the way. Uh, and at the end, I'd, I'd really love to have some interaction and, and you'd ask any questions that you might have. Um, I wasn't the cause of the last group running over, I don't think, but I did attend that meeting as well. So um, anyway, um, so the, the this strategic plan was built, um, you know, as an uh, several years ago, we started, we had our first strategic plan. The city um, initiated strategic planning and you may remember blue posters on the wall around 
City Hall and other places. And that was really kind of the starter set of a strategic plan. What it did was it is it, it established um, some um, longer term priorities. It started some, pri some uh, priorities. It established a, um, a prioritization system of these are the types of things that we'd like to get done and they're going to take some time to do. So that was a really helpful initial phase. It was built mostly by the elected leadership of our community and with some input of, of staff members um, to try and identify these are the things that the top priorities we need to attend to. Um, when we when we undertook the update or we, we decided to build the next one, the next strategic plan, um, we we knew that we wanted to build that um, starting with a lot of community listening. And so I asked um, for with amongst city staff, I asked for um, volunteers. I was hoping that we get 20 people to help us go listen to the community and gather this inf information. Um, I was um, blown away. Um, we actually had 50 uh, volunteers throughout all the different departments and different levels of the city volunteer and say, yes, I'll help you do that work. What was so powerful about that um, was that uh, the people that work in, in our organization uh, really do represent the community. They're part of the community. They have connection with different parts of our community. And so we really did take advantage of that. We asked to be invited to where people were gathering. We asked to be invited where they were talking about what did they want for their community? What's home mean to them? And, um, and we um, and so we gained some access to areas of the community that are just as dependent as anybody else is on the city services that have dreams and aspirations like anybody else. But there's a lot of people that just don't get invited and don't always come to the table and we don't hear those voices. So I think we did a really good job of getting out and, and working in it. We identified some organizations. We tried to go to physical locations out to um, sports pavilion. We went out to um, you know the library. We table at different locations. Um, and through that whole process, and of course we did the the big y'all come meetings where we put a microphone in you know the Carnegie building and and we had we listened to people that showed up for those things. And it gained us um, this wide variety of perspectives. Um, we had about 3,000 people tell us what they wanted for their community. And I think that was an important, a really important starting point because that is who this is for. That's who you work for. That's who I work for, who the commission works for. It, it's, it's how we come together and that listening to those viewpoints was so important. And so that we did that and that was the baseline of what we did. Um, so we we brought that 3000 data points together and we asked, um, uh, and we, we tried to organize it into um, into five different areas. And if I can share my screen, Porter. Oh, hang on just a sec, sorry. Access yeah. to that. There you go. Okay. Um, hopefully you can see this, five dots. Yes. Um, so we categorized all that listening into these five different areas. What we heard was, um, these are the kind of the areas uh, where people would like to see progress. That's what's important to them. Unmistakable identity, strong, welcoming neighborhoods, safe and secure, prosperity and economic security, and connected city. 
So we organized around those five different areas. We call them outcome areas. It's very important that we understand that that's what we're trying to achieve and that we have some, some um, under, a common understanding of that's what we're in business to do. That's what we're trying to do. Um, we also built statements and it's very small print here. I won't, but I'm, I'm speaking, everything that I'm showing you is on our website, all accessible publicly to everybody. And so I'd encourage you to use that as a reference going forward. But we spent a lot of time then um, attaching uh, meaning to what each of these five areas was um, represented. And the language is really important because we wanted when the 3,000 plus participants saw what we were, what we did with what we, what they gave us, um, we wanted them to say, yes, I see reflected what I told you. Uh, you, you represented what I was trying to tell you was important to me for our future in this community. The other group that I th think was really important that we had some, um, a lot of conversation was, was the words need to mean something to the people that are going to be doing the work. So um, we have 888 uh, employees. Uh, throughout all different departments do very different things. We wanted them to be able to read this and say, okay, I get what we're trying to achieve. We want boards and commissions. We have almost 400 um, volunteer board and commission members. We want you to feel like I understand what that's saying and it makes sense to me. So that's what we built here in these areas. Um, we also then understood that data uh, and um, key performance indicators will help us know that where we're going um, and keep on track of, of what our goals are. And are we making progress towards our goals? And when we're not, or something happens that is unexpected about um, data that we're getting, uh, that we can make adjustments to that. So we, um, throughout across all these, we put got about 70 or 80 key performance indicators that we built that we think are the best indicators of progress in these five different outcome areas. The other piece of this is a really important framework that, that makes um, it much more complicated and more difficult, but I think more sustainable and much better um, is that we um, also um, developed six different areas of commitments. And these are um, where the outcome areas are the what we do and what we're trying to achieve. The commitments are how we are going to achieve it. What are we going to do? How do we achieve those results? And those six different areas are community engagement, efficient and effective processes, equity and inclusion, sound fiscal stewardship, engaged and empowered teams, and environmental sustainability. So what we believe is that while we make progress, measured progress to these great things that the community has asked us to do, we've got to measure success through these six lenses and that we really can't neglect any of these six. All of them have to be represented and attended to and honored in our progress. And so the scorecard shows that as well. So you'll see across each of those outcome areas, the scorecard or the measurements will um, are, are organized around uh, representing these six commitment areas. So that's the, the primary framework that we have. Um, uh, when you go in and look at the scorecard and those measures and click on the outcome areas to see where those are, 
um, you'll notice that there's some um, data that's under construction, little cute orange cones. Um, graphics matter, right? So I really appreciate Porter and his team. They've really brought to life through through visual imagery um, this, and it's made it, my job of communication so much easier because of that. But um, you'll see there's some little cones that um, I'm, I'm real proud of the cones because the cones represent um, that we didn't pick just the data that was available to us. We said stubbornly, the best measure is this, and we don't have the data yet, but we need to start collecting it and getting it because those will be that'll be the best indication, in our opinion, of us making progress in this. So I think it was it was a a, a compromise on timing that I think will pay off over time in quality and reliability of our progress indicators. So that's the framework. I'm happy to answer any questions about it. Uh, hopefully make it um, come to life for you. What's most important, I, I went out and talked with um, all of our employees in small groups, about 65 plus meetings that we had in all different places. And it was important that they understood it like I'm conveying it to you, understand what this means, why it's important. It is everything we're in business to do. Um, we are trying to work more and more each budget year will be us trying to get more alignment, putting our resources in alignment for the things that we've decided proactively that we want to achieve. And uh, as we do our work, and I would expect as you do your work to advise the city commission, thank you, Porter, advise the city commission on, um, on policy matters um, that you will help use this as a guide to help get that alignment to happen and, and add your gifts and resources, ideas uh, uh, to how do we make better progress and what movement can we make. So I'll stop there and happy to answer any questions. I have a question. This is Kathy Joritz again. I'd like to know if Lawrence is still a member of ICLEI. Um, City Manager Craig Owens, I, I don't I don't know the answer to that. You don't know if ICLEI is a really important organization and actually has all those same goals that you just mentioned. And you don't know if Lawrence is a member of that. It's a global organization. City Manager Craig Owens, I, I'm aware of the organization uh, in the, the, but I just don't know whether Lawrence is. Okay, well, I would ask you, could you check into that and could you get back to, um, I guess, the, could you make a public statement about it or something so I can find out if we're still a member? Kathy, I, this is Porter Arneal, Director of Communications and Creative Resources and Liaison for the Municipal Art Commission. Um, this is a, a board meeting, and so um, this isn't really an opportunity for guests to be commenting. Um, so if you could, if you want to send me your um, questions by email, you can do that. I believe uh, it was just previously said that the public could comment during this time, and I believe um, it was just openly asked for comment and nobody else commented. So I don't understand why my input isn't considered valuable at all. If it's not that, it's it's a matter of context for the meeting. We did have a public comment section and um, you did contribute your public comment at that point. But at this point, it's, it's the business of the board. 
Well, when we're talking about those goals that we just saw posted, those aren't art-related goals. So I understand this is the Arts Commission. However, it was just brought up goals of sustainability, et cetera, that are actually, I believe, the goals of ICLEI just restated. And I would be almost willing to bet that those graphics are very similar to the graphics used on the ICLEI website. Thank you. I mean, thank you for sharing that information. Um, I, if Jerry, if I may, I'd like to chime in a little bit. Sure. Um, just and I just want to say that I appreciate Craig and Derek being here because, as you all know, we've talked a little bit about the strategic plan. Um, Craig, I'm not sure if you know, and Derek, uh, the uh, Cultural Arts Commission is going to hold their annual retreat meeting in January. So I think this is really timely as we, you know, turn the corner on 2021 to 2022, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the agenda tonight. So uh, I just want to kind of provide that insight to the board. If you guys have thoughts about, you know, what do we look forward to in 2022 and how does it tie back to the strategic plan? Joshua, go ahead. Sorry, I interrupted you. No, not at all. Thank you. For, thank you very much. This is Joshua Foley, uh, uh, Commissioner. Um, I, I wonder um, what were the steps and how does the city um, plan to continue to engage, uh, I guess, generally the un underrepresented populations um, in a more active way? Um, some of the language we invite and welcome um, is not necessarily inviting and welcoming to those who, who have economic or other other challenges or hurdles to clear in order to provide the kind of information that they they would like to to provide. Um, how's the city planning to meet and include in in areas of comfort and safety uh, to to voice those opinions that might be uh, representative of of not the the larger public, but you know maybe a a group that's underrepresented and uh, but still have valuable ideas and thoughts to contribute. And how does that fit into that strategic plan? Yeah, uh, city manager Craig Owens. Um, I'll go back to you know what we, our efforts, we made uh, efforts to build it um, with the uh, advantage of hearing as many voices as we could and being intentional and in going to where people gathered um, to try and identify those. Now we got 3,000, there's 100,000 people here in the community. So, you know, obviously there's always going to be um, more that we can do. Um, so that's, that's one, but I think that also was what informed us to build into the framework our equity and inclusion lens that is a permanent fixture into the framework. It's not a goal that comes and goes. It's the way we um, hold ourselves accountable to continuous um, work and monitoring and listening and improvement. Um, and so when you look across each of the five area outcome areas, we're uh, challenged to ensure that equity and inclusion is a priority that 
we, we can't neglect, just like we can't neglect sound fiscal stewardship, we can't neglect community engagement. One of the things that we definitely got out of Lawrence's expectations is that the way you do your work is as important as what you do. And so equity inclusion was something that was, it was a very important part of the foundation of how this is structured. Now, having said that, there are new, there are, strat there are measurements and there are strategies that um, are embedded in each of these. And, you know, so I could pull up some examples for you, but those will continue to be developed and evolved. But um, one example that I will give you is on the community engagement and on the equity and inclusion, we're going to oversample our annual uh, community survey. It's an annual survey, but um, we're going to oversample so that we can get a good representative sample for some of the parts of the community that aren't majority or the, the people that normally um, are, are well heard. Um, that we are um, working to try and say the perception of, of the majority might not be the same perception of other parts of our community. So that team was really, uh, really worked to, to build that particular measure in, and you'll see that across several of the outcome areas when you look at the measurements. And then it's not just hearing it, but also then what strategies do we have to make sure that that pulls in line with, and then that that's honored um, by what um, we might get as a majority um, perception of getting what you need. Um, so that's that's one part of it, but I would say that there there are teams working on this, and and um, it'll continue to be something that that evolves and gets better as we use this tool. This tool isn't complete right now and perfect. Um, this is a tool that will get better as we use it as a community, and we have more people participate in it. Thank you. I, I, this is Joshua. I appreciate your answer and 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 would encourage the continued effort to not just invite to your house uh, people uh, to provide input, but to go to theirs and and to go to where they are. Um, but it sounds it sounds great. Thank you again for your answer, and I look forward to continued development in that arena. Good. Thank you. I have a question, Porter. Yeah. Go ahead, Denise. Hi, this is Denise Stone. Um, is it possible for you to provide the board with a copy of the strategic plan? Uh, absolutely. Um, we, it, as you can see, it's on the website. It is linked okay. in tonight's agenda. Uh, okay. We also have full booklets. I'd be happy to give anybody that's interested. And we have smaller pamphlets that kind of outline the general um, areas that Craig described exactly. Um, so yes, we have that stuff. And if I ever see you all in person another time, <laughs> I'd be happy to share that with you. Or seriously, please stop by City Hall. Just give me a heads up that you're coming and I'll make sure those are set aside. Um, all this stuff is available in my office and you're welcome to it. Okay, thanks. I think it would be really important. Great question, Denise. Mary, I saw your hand. Yeah, I just, Mary Doughton, I just wanted to express appreciation to both Craig and to Derek for um, the, the extra effort that they put into including arts and culture in this entire discussion in the 
in the original surveys and in the subcommittees and the committees and and uh, the um, the value that they seem to be um, placing on the work done by arts and culture groups. So I just want to say thank you. Thanks, Miriam. Anyone, anyone else? All right, well, I have to say that uh, it's one thing to be, you know, have city manager Craig Owens, and, and then it's a whole other thing to be, to have uh, unmistakable identity champion uh, in front of in front of your name, so I'd like to introduce uh, Derek Rogers and uh, allow uh, Derek to to say uh, to say his piece for for tonight. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks, Jerry. Uh, Derek Rogers, director of Parks Recreation and team champion for Unmistakable Identity, and obviously arts, culture, parks and recreation falls into that. Um, the mission statement, which um, we talked about, is one where everybody is. Feels, uh, creates a community where everyone will enjoy life and feels at home. And that's one of the pieces that really touches base with me as part of uh, the community. And our outcome area is what we do. The commitments are how we do it. Um, and I, I think we've got the coolest, we're part of the coolest outcome areas. And so that's probably why I really like it. It's uh, what we do and how we do it. Um, some of the things to think about though, it's also one of the most difficult to, we can develop the strategies, which is pretty good. And when we talk about the equity and inclusion that uh, Joshua mentioned, we have the um, key performance indicators. And so what we try to do is move those needles on how we do it um, with intention um, to, to make it better in our community and, and have a community that says, hey, this is really welcome and we want to be here. So that's where the team that consists of uh, Lawrence Art Center, Theodore Lawrence, Watkins Museum, Parks Recreation, um, Explore Lawrence, uh, other entities, where we come together to collaborate on how we can move these needles and make Lawrence a better place and a stronger community and meet the goals of our strategic plan that our community put a lot of effort and time in to develop and said, this is where we want to go. Um, so it's really cool, um, but there's a lot of work in how do we collect the data? For example, how many people attend events in Lawrence, whether it be Art in the Park and Busker Fest and other things, and pull all that data into one place and say, okay, we want to increase um, participation or visitorship in Lawrence. How are we going to do that? Um, so, so that's some of our challenges, but I'm really excited about the work we do. And um, I think it's great that we have some phenomenal people on our board. Mary Dumpton's one of them. I see Kimberly Anspach on the call um, and some uh, other folks from around the community. So we've got our work cut out for us. Thanks, Jerry. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for being here. Any, uh, any questions for Derek? This is Marlo Angel. I'm not sure it's a question for Derek or for Craig. I thank you both for being here. It's really important to have some exposure to the work that we do on a monthly basis um, at the city management level. And we do have our cultural plan that we've had for a number of years now. And my question is, how do we align that cultural plan with a new strategic plan? And is there ways that those two plans can sort of work together? Because I feel like sometimes we're isolated doing our own thing and there's this higher city agenda that's happening. How do we get those stars to align and get 
some of the work that we've been doing influence what you all are doing? City Manager Craig Owens, um, uh, I really appreciate that question. Um, I, I, I know when we're presenting this, and I'm very excited about it, um, that um, it sounds like, oh, the, the world started because we have a strategic plan. And I assure you that, that, is, that it, we know that that's not true. There has been such unbelievable work leading to this. And this is merely a framework to assimilate and pull into um, uh, one place uh, and look proactively and build plans that can be prioritized so that we can actually make traction and go to where the community has asked us to go. But there are some really sophisticated uh, guidance, guiding documents that some of which are years old and some have just been done and some were built while we were building the strategic plan and have unbelievable alignment because we, we intended it. Um, one example of that is the economic development strategic plan. That was actually, uh, we specified when we brought Ernst and Young in to help us do that work. We want you to build the chapter of this that we've identified so that it is just one in the same. And so we had, had that advantage. So we did try and pull in every, every one of these documents in the community and the input and the work that it already exists, that has already existed and represent that so that we didn't duplicate the efforts and that we were informed by and had the very best work. Um, theoretically, if you're asking the same community the questions, you'll get the same answers and they will align. And I know that there's a lot of engagement that's done uh, regularly with all these different plans, but they aren't all necessarily linked together um, in one plan. And the reality of a city manager is um, we've got a very wide diversity of things that all need attention and then none of which can be neglected. And so this is um, excite, most exciting to me because um, we, we have to reconcile all of those different demands and needs and get organized in a way that we can actually make progress. And so I think the reason I'm making this tour to speak with many, but not all of the 48 boards and commissions that we have is to hope that this is useful to you, that you do see um, the previous work and your previous planning uh, in this document uh, and that you then, you know, influence it and make it better in detail, but also change and modify the direction if we're off or if we need to make adjustments as we do our work. I think that is a, the most important uh, and powerful role our advisory boards and commissions can do. So I would encourage you to use the work that you've already done and use the guiding documents that were built on, on such great work. Um, and if we're missing or those need to be um, pushed into the strategic plan in greater detail, it should. It's not perfect. It's, it's, it's in a good place to get better over time, and it should be an evolving document that's useful to us achieving what the community asked us to do. Um, that was a big over answer, I apologize, but <laughs> hopefully somewhere in there I answered your question. That's very helpful. How do you suggest that we communicate, like you said, if there was an area we felt like could be stronger 
or re more reflective of something that's going on with the cultural plan, how do we best communicate that to you in looking at that larger picture strategic plan? Well, we're set up, you you meet regularly, you have a liaison, um, you have the attention of your champion. Um, and I, I think all of those, you're, you're already structured and built to do it. I would encourage your agenda to, to, to look at the strategic plan. Um, how can you, how can you, your agenda for this group, um, what are you doing to help us make progress in the strategic plan? And if that means you miss something, by all means, let's get that put in there. Um, you're, you're, you're the experts on where our community needs to go in arts and culture. And um, I know as you advise the city commission on their policy uh, decisions, um, they will find very useful your input on making adjustments and, and how we align resources too. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for that. Yeah, I mean, that's a it's a continued theme with this group is how do we uh, contribute to what do we have? We have economics plan, we have strategic plan, we have a cultural plan and and how this group can, uh, you know, impact uh, the things that are relative to what we do in in those three plans and help uh, help those all um, you know, move to their their desired end is is always of interest to us. So I uh, appreciate you guys' comments and you all being here to uh, uh, to share with us. Any other questions for uh, either either Craig or uh, Derek before we move on? All right, none heard. Um, so next on the agenda is uh, something that's uh, exciting to uh, to hear about progress on. I think the update on the art uh, culture and Crossings program from Alicia Kelly. So who, who, ah, there she is, she's on video now. Welcome, thank you for being here to give us an update and uh, I'll turn it over to you to, to do that. Hello, hi, I'm Alicia Kelly, um, program coordinator for Art Culture Crossings. Um, I just wanted to give you all a brief kind of update what's happening. Um, it's kind of been going on since October. So October, the call to artists RFQ came out uh, for artists to apply to and the deadline was in mid-November. We got a handful of applications, um, surprisingly a lot of performance-based only a few visual art, which is really kind of fun to play around with and see how that's going to work in this uh, initiative. So uh, I put together a selection committee. There were six members and they all ranged in ages of, you know, 18. I had a youth representative to 50 and all with different backgrounds and art in some way or um, definitely uh, supportive of the public arts in town. And we met last week virtually. We had a couple hours where we went through the project, projects, talked it out, and we came up with our strongest, uh, kind of the top five strongest uh, projects for this. Um, we ranked them and then I met with Porter on Monday. So it's kind of been, you know, slow moving, but um, I ranked them and we met with, uh, I met with Porter on Monday and we kind of discussed the projects, kind of talked about the overall 
process of kind of moving forward with this since this is such a like kind of pilot program and new and kind of figuring out the best way to make this all work. Um, so the next step in the process for me is um, I am emailing the finalists this week to kind of set up meetings. I'm going to start with the top three to kind of set up meetings to see logistically what they need, um, what their timeline is. I think the I think Porter and I had talked about that June would kind of be the the last month-ish things would go on the summer. So um, I want to talk about timeline with them, what their budget is, so I can get a better idea of what these artists need and what support they need from me. Um, and just kind of get an overall view of what they're thinking these projects are, a little bit more um, explanation from what they wrote in their proposals. Um, and then in January, I will, my plan is to set up a meeting with Sally Z. You probably all know her. I have not met her yet. I've only emailed um, and kind of walk downtown Lawrence and kind of look at the storefronts that are available potentially and kind of right away spaces that would make sense for the project selected. So right now the finalists do not know and this is the week that they're um, I'm going to start getting in contact with them. So that is the update quick and short but I'm open to any questions or anything I'm missing that I didn't answer or talk about. Thank you, Alicia, for the update. I, I would start off with a question. So, um, <laughs> you know, I don't know. This may be way too practical of a question, but, you know, in looking at the artists that we that, that you're focused on, um, can you comment on, you know, sort of how you feel the budget is looking with them? And then also, like, understanding that you haven't done the walkthrough with downtown and, and all of that. I mean, how, how does this you know, sort of available space versus applicants and budget thing. I know that's a like a in engineering we call that a water balloon problem. You know, <laughs> uh, where you, if you squeeze too tight on one end, it, you know, it's too big on the other. But how how is that looking? Available space versus uh, you know, sort of acceptable applicants versus budget. Huh? So in general, it seems like there's a lot of flexibility in the in the applicants and a lot of their um, proposals and kind of spaces they suggested that they liked or were open to spaces perform I'm talking primarily a lot of the performance there's also a few um, projection based pieces that were flexible about it being able to be moved storefronts was where the projections um, were proposed so they were talking about it being moved so and I know there's always an ever-changing um, thing of downtown and open storefront. So I do like that some of the projects have such flexibility that if we, if it maybe one month was here, if it was an ongoing um, projection, like one month could be here, it would, you know, be able to adapt and change to another place um, as well as the performances. So I feel, I feel pretty good about um, the availability. I think it's just kind of knowing what I can do to support the artists in the ways that they're thinking and that makes sense for the program. Um, and then budget wise, I think that is kind of the 
first, you know, in the RFQ, we didn't have them put a budget. I did when I did talk to people individually, I did say put an estimated budget, you know, of what you're needed, just so we kind of know when we're going through with the committee and talking to Porter and the um, partners of it, what makes sense. And so I think when I talk to, my plan is to talk to the top three finalists and kind of get an idea of what they're seeing in this budget and what makes sense and what they really need. And then going from there to the next um, to make the top five and kind of seeing if it's available. I do feel like I mean, you're talking to a working artist, so I'm always going to say, <laughs> you know, space and, and, and budget is important, especially with something um, that's kind of flexible and experimental. But with the projects um, that have kind of made the finalists, um, I do feel like we're in good standing and there can be, you know, five well-funded projects for it. So that's I hope that answered all the questions. No, it, that, that's helpful, particularly to, to say five. Know, <laughs> I'm just thinking, um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I guess in, in my mind, in, in the original, you know, sort of conception of this, I'm thinking of, you know, empty storefronts with art in them and stuff. And 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 coming from more of a performing arts background, I'm I'm actually excited to know that that there was more of that. But that also introduces a whole lot more flexibility, which is I think your point um, in it. And and so I just wonder. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, we we've entrusted this to you and and to the to the folks who are who are making their proposals and so forth. But I, I I'm. I'm interested to know how that will, you know, sort of be broadly um, available um, and and so forth, um, you know, so so as to make the impact um, that that we we had hoped for. Um, but but maybe it's too early, a little bit too early to tell. I don't know. Gary, I think your your comments. Sorry, let me just say quickly, your comments are right on target and. This is because it is more performative based. It's a little more nebulous at this stage. And that's why Alicia is reaching out. Um, and we actually already have Alicia on our agenda in February. Um, Cause we think by then obviously she'll have much more information and more clarity on this. This becomes that curatorial phase, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, and that's what Alicia's, you know, be, honestly, I think her strengths both as an artist and as somebody who's worked with kids um, becomes really important here is to to help talk to these artists and really think through what they're trying to do and how can it be how can it be fit into this context yeah great thank you could I, could I make a comment about this this is Kathy Joritz again Kathy I I, I you know I, again I, I think we stated that the public comment uh, yeah, but this is, I'm, I'm an artist and I actually considered doing a piece and I just wanted to inform Alicia why I decided not to submit anything and just make a suggestion for what might alleviate my difficulty and the difficulty of other visual artists in the future. Because I think I know why visual artists were so few in these proposals, at least based on my experience. Okay. 
Okay, so um, so Alicia, I think a problem was the budget. I, if, as I recall, there was a limitation on the budget when I read the description, and I considered doing maybe a projected animation or a pro or maybe you know hanging like something visual out, a painting or something projected, a projected painting or something like that. And when I worked through my imaginary budget, it just was I couldn't see how I could possibly do it without working for almost nothing, like really literally nothing because of the technical things that would be involved in that. And also, yeah, the logistical and technical type of things. And you had just mentioned something about storefronts. And so it occurred to me that maybe a way to alleviate this problem for visual artists, because if visual artists put out anything, whatever they use, whether it's projection equipment or it's hanging something somewhere or it all in, you have to protect, be able to protect your art and your equipment, which is would be factored into the budget, which would makes it more expensive and more difficult logistically and technically. So I was thinking you had mentioned storefronts, and I just thought it would be really a, a maybe you've considered this already, but um, if Massachusetts storefront owners, for example, would be willing to sponsor a work in their window, that would be a protected space where artists could then make something, you know, a painting or drawing or whatever to be displayed in a window for a temporary amount of time. And we would know it was secure in that whole factor about how do we secure our artwork? How do we keep it safe? How do we keep it weatherproof? All that, all those things that are, are imply more expense and more difficulty would be gone. So I don't know if you've ever considered that to ask just storefront um, or store owners to, to have a week or a couple of weeks to sponsor an artwork that would be placed in their window for that limited amount of time. Thank you, Kathy, for your for your comments. Any other commissioners have any uh, questions for Alicia? So I don't I don't get a response from Alicia if that's ever been been considered. But Kathy, I mean, in fact, it was the entire idea of the process from the beginning. But then it wasn't adequately described because I never saw that in the description that you could have. I, I'm, uh, I, yeah, I, I don't know what you were able to to get from that, but that that was the, the original idea, and and it was put out uh, to the public for uh, so, so that they could um, respond. Then I guess I would just request that that be more clearly described because I read the description multiple times and I never got that I could have my art in a secure place in the storefront. Okay, thank you. Thank you for your comments. Any other questions from commissioners? Go ahead, Joshua. Hi, uh, this is Joshua Folly. I, I would also encourage in, in the future and, and moving forward um, to expand uh, our storefronts outside of the downtown area mm -hmm. to other vacant spots. Uh, I'm thinking particularly because of my my home location on 23rd Street, maybe on Wakarusa. There's there's a lot of empty storefronts uh, all over the all over the city, and and everybody deserves to have some <laughs> some wonderful works of art uh, available to them on display. And so I, I hope that. Uh, you know, going forward, we continue to think about um, uh, all of Lawrence, <clears throat> from from north, south, east, west, all of Lawrence uh, as wonderful venues uh, to to display art uh, of, a, of a great quality, and and you know, hopefully that that attracts folks to the uh, unique spaces that we do have in the city, and. Uh, the new character of uh, many of the neighborhoods. 
That's it. I think that's a good comment, Joshua. I, but I, I also would like to, I, I, am I, am I incorrect in saying, I don't think we limited it to Massachusetts Street, did we? No, no. it's not. Oh, sorry. But no, it's not. It was, I think uh, there was definitely emphasis on that, but also very open to, especially performance space. I know that Theater of Lawrence is also a partner in this. And we kind of talked about you know, as it's performance based, there is that flexibility of it being other places or even being a performance if it made sense for their budget to happen a few times and could be different avenues. So I think you're totally right on with that, um, Joshua. Yeah, Jerry, this is Joshua. Um, I I just want to emphasize, you know, it, it's kind of stems from my question to uh, 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 city manager Craig Owens is, is is this idea of like, we can invite you, we can leave it open, yeah. but then there's, I'm going to insert this. I'm, yeah. I'm going to put this in your environment, in your neighborhood, and it's gonna be amazing. And you're gonna be able to access it. And you're not gonna to have to travel, you know, I don't know, 20 minutes from the West side to downtown to see a thing. Because I mean, obviously as, as you know, as we can all admit, you know, downtown is a heavily trafficked area. Um, and the more art gets, you know, views, the the better. Um, but I think that should be true for the entire city of Lawrence, not just the downtown area. And, you know, I, I don't know the mechanism by which we can expand that um, so that all of Lawrence is just infused with this amazing work and, and infused with art through and through in every nook and cranny. Um, but I think we should make deliberate efforts to to move in that direction because- I, 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 I agree, Joshua. And I'm sure the Westsiders are happy with your push to, to get them some art exposure out there. Look at Mary. She's well. I'm not even. I'm not even on the west side. Sometimes she feels like an island out there. I don't want to put words in Mary's mouth, but I think sometimes on the west side she feels like an islander. I'm. I'm not even on the west side. I. I'm not nowhere near the west side. I just. You know, I. I I just think about like East Lawrence and North Lawrence and and all these places that often get overlooked, um, as as venues for for some really great programming really great art and cultural events. Um, you know, they're, oh, it's, they're, a, it's, they're a, it's a great point. We, we should be focused on, on, uh, on uh, you know, on the community as a whole. And sometimes we do, we, you know, it's, it's easy to focus on Mass Street and, um, and the, the more, you know, cultural arts uh, focused areas of town, but it is important that we, uh, that we make that stuff available uh, to the broader community. So I appreciate your your point. Uh, Dina. Dina Ahmad speaking. I just wanted to express my thanks to Alicia and all the colleagues working on this. I'm really excited about this project and I'm really looking forward to seeing it come to fruition. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'll say I'm honored and, you know, it's, it's really good for me as I've been, you know, working artists for 15 years and I've worked with the public and gone through the Cultural Arts Commission and always learning. So it's really fun to be there um, in support of the artists and to, you know, overall 
for Lawrence, for the betterment of Lawrence. So I've lived in the East, East uh, Lawrence neighborhood for 15 years. And this is, you know, I want to make sure that, you know, that it's open and available. And also, I think, you know, I need to make, I want to, and I think the overall city is that other neighborhoods are represented or like, oh, this performance could also be done here or there. And that's where that curatorial process we were talking about is kind of in. And that gives me a lot to think about as we figure out logistics. So good points. I appreciate it. Yeah, this, this is Joshua. I just wanted to clarify when I'm in East Lawrence, I was thinking of like Prairie Park area. Mm -hmm. You know, there, there, there's some great pathways there and some great neighborhoods over there. And, and you know, they, they deserve art too. They deserve they deserve that too, and, and I I just wanted to mention that 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 was my reference. Not I know East Lawrence has a an automatic direction uh, <laughs> in our references, but it's that's magnetic. what I was thinking about. But it's yeah. magnetic, it's it's East. I, I I think you know one one thing uh, maybe this is um, you know sort of. Um, you know, making a, re, restating an obvious point, but I think the the performance nature of the of the applicants and everything really does give us mobility, right? I mean, mm -hmm. I think we should focus on that and um, let's like Joshua said to to his comments uh, to Craig. You know, take take it to their home. You know, um, maybe we should focus on that. In, in whatever way we can. Yeah, that sounds good. Anything else on the uh, art and culture crossings? I'm excited. I'm excited to see how, how this goes. Lawrence never never ceases to surprise, right? We, we think we're going to get a bunch of, uh, you know, things hanging in, in storefronts downtown and and we get uh, we we get a you know whole whole different deal. It's cool. Hey uh, Jerry, I would like to acknowledge Miss Amont for recognizing Miss Kelly's uh, contributions and work. Um, I don't know. And and thinking about this, I mean, I was even taken for granted that uh, people are doing a lot of awesome stuff uh, for not very much, uh, if anything. And uh, so I'd, I'd like to echo um, Dina's comments of appreciation for Ms. Kelly's uh, work on this. It's not, it's not insubstantial. Um, and so it's, it's, we appreciate it, or I do. Thank you. <laughs> I'm learning, always learning and open, so. <laughs> All right, thank you, thank you very much. Alicia for the update. Um, next on our new business agenda is the uh, National Endowment for the Arts Rescue Plan grants. We'll file this under, be careful what you ask for folks. <laughs> because I don't, I mean, I, I would leave it to Porter to, to maybe describe what a, what a, is dark horse the right word or long long shot we were in this thing and uh yeah 
It uh, admittedly at the time, I don't remember exactly what was going on. I have very few memories of the last two years, honestly, but um, I know it was a really busy time and I think I was trying to get out of town for vacation or something. And then this, you know, this grant popped up and it was a real quick turnaround. Um, very appreciative of Marlo and Jerry for jumping in and helping and everybody else who helped um, figure this out. I, you know, I sat down and, and I filled out the application and I submitted it and I kind of let it go and forgot about it. And honestly didn't have high hopes because I, I can't remember the the actual data, but it was pretty competitive. Um, you know, there's, there's a good chunk of money, but they didn't have a ton of grants they were giving out. So I have to admit, I was very pleasantly surprised to get an email saying you have been awarded this grant. Um, and then I had the other side of that of, oh my goodness, how are we going to <laughs> do this? And let me read from the letter that I have. Um, the purpose of the grant, I just want to be clear with everybody, is to support subgranting to the nonprofit arts sector in response to and recovery from the COVID-19 pandemic. So I just want to make sure that everybody understands this is not art programming grant or that kind of thing. It really is specifically geared for art and culture nonprofits to help in recovery, um, which in a way probably makes the, the subgranting challenge a little easier because it's um, pretty straightforward, frankly. So that's good news. And um, but yes, there is some some work ahead to, to figure out exactly how we want to do this. And um, I think that um, might be a great segue to should this be on the in or retreat agenda at some level um, to craft a plan. I'm thinking maybe a committee that can take a look at the parameters of this. Um, Melody in my office and I have been looking at the, um, the NEA has a lot of information. <laughs> um, somewhat overwhelming, honestly. And so we've been digging up all that paperwork and trying to assemble a file so we can go back in and really understand what it is um, we need to do to satisfy their requirements as well. Do we have, thank you, Porter, uh, do we have any, I mean, is there any sort of drop dead uh, dates that we need to be aware of, um, you know, in, in forming that committee to, uh, you know, to plan uh, how we'll um, distribute, I guess, or it, it, for lack of a better word, the, the funds of the grant? Yeah, that's a good question. So um, the period of performance is December 1, 2021 through December 31, 2022. So basically we have a year and one month um, to implement this uh, subgrant program, which, you know, that's that's enough time. Okay, so if we, um, if we uh, set up a, a working group uh, at the, um, the annual retreat to you know, to handle all things associated with that, um, you know, that that would be at least a, a good start to, to getting that going. Yeah, I would say a working group and perhaps a timeline, um, yeah. you know, so that we have an idea of how we want to, you know, implement this. And, and just for those of us who aren't, you know, sort of informed on all the vernacular of these grants and everything, I mean, basically what this means is our job or the city's job, our job is to recommend to the city or whatever um, that some um, 
tranches or hunks of, of this go to community arts organizations that then use that money to carry out their business, uh, you know, in, in light of, of uh, hardships that they've experienced because of COVID. Right. Um, the actual phrasing is subgranting to the nonprofit arts sector. Okay. All right. This is this is Joshua. I can think of like six off the bat, like immediately. Um, Mary, Mary is probably one of those uh, who can also think of a few. Um, and so I think I I don't know. I, I think we we can easily put out a, a you know a, a call for uh, applications or whatever. Uh, have that done in about three months and have that distributed shortly thereafter. It it, it would give it an adequate amount of time, but it would still be ahead of the game. Um, uh, this is this is Mary Dubton. Uh, what I would suggest we look at real carefully is how quickly the money would have to be expended by those receiving it. Because if it's a year and a month or whatever quarter uh, for, for the grant to be expended, what kind of a timeline would the sub-grants need to be expended under? Because I, I think we're, we're going to need to know that in order to set up a a coherent timeline to address the community's needs. Yeah, that's a good point, Mary. If it's if the subgrants are within that same time period, then we got to get on it faster. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and actually that would be another thing is especially those of you who are nonprofits, if you have insights from your own experience. Um, and, you know, what are the questions we need to answer? That's a really good point. This is Marla. Would it be advantageous to form a subcommittee prior to the retreat? Because I know we have a lot to cover on that agenda. Um, would it be, I know the holidays are coming up, so I don't know what schedules are like, but do we want to sneak in a meeting just to try to get the ball rolling on this so we're not behind the game? Uh, Daniel B. Smith, uh, I'm not opposed to getting a subcommittee together um, uh, quickly, um, but I, I do think the, the parameters for spending the money for the organizations is super, super flexible, which I do think will make it easy for any organization to allocate the funds pretty quickly. I mean, you can pretty much go to anything, including salary and overhead. So um, I'm happy to be involved personally, and I think that if we want to get a subcommittee together before the retreat, that's fine, but I don't actually know how, how much urgency. I think the time frame that Joshua sort of outlined, maybe like, at the, you know, at the retreat and then like a three month period for, for application is probably sufficient, but I, I always enjoy doing things as fast as possible as well. So uh, I, I'm, I'm up for either way. Uh, this is Mary again. I. I... I hesitate to disagree with you, Daniel, but my experience with some of these um, um, pandemic-related grants is that they have to be used within a very, very specific time period, and there are strong parameters 
that have to be met. I, I'm sure Marlo can can address that as well because I I know both the art center and and the theater have gotten bits of money from various agencies and and uh, lots of paperwork, not a lot of flexibility. Well, it sounds like sounds like we have a little bit of research to do on that. Yeah, and 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 I would agree. I I think some research and some understanding. This is Joshua Folly. Um, uh, research and understanding is helpful. Um, we found um, that our experience with some of these pandemic-related uh, COVID grants have been more flexible than they immediately appear, um, and and a lot of times those funds don't need to be spent and purchased, but obligated. Uh, by a certain time frame, um, as opposed to actually like delivered, um, and and so there there is some flexibility in there that I've seen, and this one in particular seems, you know, from what I've heard and what I've expressed, really pretty flexible and really trying to um, do what it can and and do its job to to support those those organizations that that really need it in whatever way, shape, or form, whatever facet that that they need, um, because all of them are different. All of them have different needs. Um, and, and I've seen, at least in my experience with some of our grants, uh, our funding, our stipulations, um, they're, they're pretty flexible. Uh, it, you know, more so if you, if you need to lend to the details. So I think, I do think like you said, uh, some research would be helpful. Okay, so um, and some better so, understanding. All right, so Porter, without putting any burden on or you know on you or whatever, can we, uh, you know, is there someone in this group who can who can investigate the parameters of that so that we can go into the the retreat knowing, uh, you know, what the time obligations are for. Um, you know, for us to grant that to, or for us to, however you want to put that, award that to the the nonprofits, and then also have the information about how, uh, what their spending timeline is. I can sure, certainly share. Like I said, we've been collecting documents. It, it's kind of laborious because you have to get into the NEA website and then. Um, sure. download stuff, but we've been doing that. Um, and I certainly be more than happy to share those files with anybody who wants to help. All right. Anybody interested in volunteering for that? I see Marlo and Denise. So can Porter, can we ask you to share the access to that information? So Marlo and Denise can find that out and then they can maybe give us a uh, we can put them on the agenda for the retreat and they can give us a report on the timeline and and specific parameters associated with our um, um, you know disseminating those grant funds that sounds great thank and you then I think, and yeah and then I think we would form a group uh, a working group at the time of the the retreat to you know to actually carry out the the duties or the you know the work associated with that 
uh, but Marlo and Denise can inform us on what the parameters are for that at the at the retreat. Go ahead, Denise. Hi, this is Denise Stone. Um, Marlo, shall we get together and you know pull our thinking and resources? Okay, would love to do that. Okay, great. Thank you guys for volunteering to do that. Appreciate it. Um, Porter and Jerry, is it, this is Marla, is it possible, I know like the NEA had when they did the announcement for this grant cycle, I know they said we're allowed to announce it and since this is a public meeting, is it permissible for us to share that? I think it's such an amazing opportunity because you're right, I mean, we thought it was such a long shot that we would even get this grant and here we are going to influx our city with some great funding for the arts. Can we do a public release about it or get that word publicly? shared even though we don't know the particulars of how it'll be disseminated we do know the influx of money is going to go to the arts which is really great yeah yeah the nea actually did share a list of all the recipients and i knew that was coming out and again i was pinched because i was trying to get out of town for thanksgiving um and so it got um and i you know my instincts at the time was i wanted to be careful to make sure we knew we actually were going to receive the funds um, and also that we understood how to distribute the funds so um it isn't a release that the city would tip. We don't typically do releases about grants. Um, so I'm not quite sure how to answer that question as since the city is the, the grant recipient, so to speak. I mean, the, the Cultural Arts Commission is a recipient, but on behalf of the city. So I'm thinking, um, you know, there's obviously this is public information, um, but we may want to wait till we have clarity on um, how we're going to implement the program. That makes sense. Yeah, it does, it does make sense. Although I remember from the thing, I mean, they they really encouraged us to to you know <laughs> make a make a deal about it. But but I get it. We, we it's like we we you know we could say we got it as a city, um, but it would it maybe it would be even more impactful to say what our plan you know what we were going to do with it. Um, so I don't know. I, I, and that, I guess I... that may be something we can, um, let me think about that from a social media perspective. Instead of a release, maybe there is a way we can kind of tease that out with social media to get people aware of it, but then also say more to come. I love that. Yeah. I always feel like if you can get that word out and people know it versus finding it out some weird way, and then they say, oh, did we get money from the city? And then there's mass confusion. Yes. Yeah, this is this is Joshua. I, I, I fully agree with Marlo. Um, I think, you know, if if the LCAC is the grant recipient, we should put out a release. Um, Craig Owens was here just a little bit ago. We should have a quote from him in the release, as well as at least one or two of the commissioners of excitement. And then, like Porter said, more to come. Here's, you know, we'll we'll will divulge, let's trust ourselves that we can handle this and distribute this, you know, in a good way. You know, it's it's about whether or not we have faith in ourselves to, to handle uh, such an opportunity. And I think we can, and I think we will. Um, so let's get the word out. It's something to be excited about uh, going into the winter and uh, the winter months. Thanks, Joshua. Appreciate that. 
Anything else on that before we move to uh, retreat plans? Uh, Porter, I thought maybe you could put that um, old agenda up and we could just kind of take a peek at that as we think about. I mean, I don't know when I'm, <laughs> I don't know, am I officially done after tonight or I, I, I am I? Uh, so actually your terms go through January 31st. Okay. <clears throat> um, no, such, no such luck, huh? Not all of your predecessors have um, honored that, <laughs> honestly, um, but technically that's how it goes. And, you know, that's to help keep institutional knowledge um, uh, carried on. Yes. Uh, so, and I do believe that some of you actually received an email today. Those who are, who are um, eligible for a second term um, are getting an email and you can indicate whether or not you want to um, serve another term. And then some are actually going off as well. So, um, but everybody's terms do go through January 31st, just FYI. So it'd be great if everybody can, can join us for the, um, the retreat. Um, and that will be, I believe, January 9th, which is Sunday. I think I've got that right. And can, we do it? can we do it in person? I, I think so. Um, you know, it, it has to be in a place where if we have guests, they can attend as well. Um, and I think, I don't know if we have to broadcast it since it's a, you know, it is a board meeting. Let me do some research on that. And, you know, uh, uh, with cases going up, I want to be careful, sure, sure, sure. um, you know, and that, so let's be mindful of that, but that's, it's we, possibly a hybrid option might be a good way to go and do kind of what we're doing here. And then people can come to city hall if they want to. Okay. Um, um and I, then, will, I will, I will be there. Um, I will carry out my uh, my responsibilities, and I, I really look forward to handing off my duties to the next um, capable person. So, um, but yeah, I'll be there. My my New Year's resolution is going to be fewer meetings, so we'll see whether I'm in. My January. my goal my goal honestly after. One million years on this commission with Joshua Falleaf is I just want his phone number in my Rolodex so I can text him whenever I want. I want yours. You can have it, brother. It's all, all yours. right. I'm I'm hunting you down. Excellent. Um, okay, so let's take a peek at that agenda if we can. Um, thanks, Porter. And I get to move a bunch of screens around now. Okay, so this is last year's agenda. Um, just as a reminder, the, the first word of is certainly the um, election of officers. Um, so if anybody's interested in serving in different positions, um, think about that now and you can nominate yourself and or others um, during that process. Typically we do a budget review. I think you know for next year that'll be important, although the budget remains static. Um, and then last year it was desired to review the mission and goals of the um, board. Um, we reviewed Order. the cultural, go ahead. I just had a quick question. Uh, the TGT grant advisory board liaison, I know that sort of process is coming up soon and I've been asked a few times about it. Uh, who is our liaison and 
What's that makeup look like? Uh, does the liaison want to identify herself? Yeah, Joshua, this is Mary Dubton. I'm the liaison. Okay. All right, great. I At least wanted to make way. sure we were represented. Yes. Great. And and we did get those applications and um, information is out about that. The applications are on the transient guest tax um, web page. There's a link to all those applications and the transient guest tax advisory board is in the process, starting the process of reviewing those. They're going to meet Friday. It's a public meeting here um, just to kind of touch base on, on the next steps and that type of thing. And actually, um, um, Mary, we'll get to hear from Craig again because Craig is visiting with all these different boards about the strategic plan. So he'll do a presentation at that board as well um, before they go through that information and prepare to see the three minute um, presentations from the 28 applicants before they do their scoring for that process. Um, the other item was the role of the Lawrence Cultural Arts Commission and talked about the cultural plan, did a brainstorming session. Um, of course, all this was, um, was this, this was last year, right? No, 2021, sorry. I'm thinking about the pandemic. Um, and I think the other thing is I had some notes that we've been, that I've been capturing along the way. Um, there was there's some interest in program guideline look reviewing some program guidelines and policies. I know Denise has been um, interested in looking at the mural um, requirements, uh, the criteria for that, um, and possibly the grant program. I didn't know if we wanted to revisit that or not. Um, in addition to that, uh, well, you talked about the NEA grant, so that's I think that's a really important thing. Obviously, as we come out of knock on wood, cross my fingers, COVID um, in 2022, I hope. And then it was really more programmatic type things of you know what programs do we want to implement? We have things budgeted, but I don't know if we want to make adaptations. Um, you know, two things that influence that is the art and culture crossings program. Um, do we want to more formally tie that into the outdoor downtown sculpture exhibition? Um, those kinds of questions are out there as well. So, okay. Can I make a comment? Sure. <clears throat> I think this looks good. And I am still interested in reviewing the guidelines for the mural um, application. So for me, I think that's really important. We've talked about it before, but I, I still have concerns about it. So. You want to do that? I, I, I know that's, that's on your heart, Denise, and, and I know it was last year. Um, and I know it has been, is that something that we want to do? I mean, it's uh, having done that process before, I mean, it's a lot of sausage grinding. Is that something we want to do at the actual retreat or is it something that you want to get the group to agree to do during the retreat, if that makes well, sense? I, yeah, and that's a good question. My concern is that um, the applications that we get in I've heard some comments um, that artists have a hard time completing 
um, the application, I think the guidelines are really open-ended. It might be useful to have an application that's more specific than general. And instead of having applicants approach the committee in such a way as we have to ask for further information, I think it makes it makes the application process and approval process much more extensive than it needs to. And it's a waste of time for everyone. So I think the guidelines are very nebulous in some way. There's nowhere that, that it says that written applications, verbal comments during the evaluation of those applications or emails in combination or not at all are acceptable which makes it problematic. And I think that's one of the things that we've run into this past year when applicants submitted their application, their, you know, or questions to the guidelines. It's really not an application. It's really a set of guidelines that we provide them. And from that, using that word only guidelines makes it really difficult for um, applicants to, to really approach this in a, in, a, in a way that's productive for them and for our um, board. I, I think your I think your point is well taken, Denise, and I, I appreciate your passion on this issue. Um, the the what makes it there's a lot of things that make it difficult, and one is that we one is that we don't approve them. <laughs> so it's it's like, you know. We don't approve the application. We make a recommendation to the city commission that they approve it. And um, so anyway, I'm not saying this, this topic doesn't need more work. I, you know, I, I have done it and, um, you know, with as many murals as we've had this year and, and during the pandemic and everything, we've certainly seen some different flavors of it. And, and um, the thing about murals is that they, they are very um, varied and so forth. And so I'm not sure you can come up with a perfect process, but I, I appreciate your passion. And I think if we want to discuss at the annual retreat, putting a group together to revisit that, to make that more, fair, more accessible, um, and and so forth. I, I think that's a great idea. I don't think it's a topic that we can grind through, yeah, obviously during, you know, during that meeting. But um, so from, I would support it being on the agenda uh, from the perspective of setting up a group to, to look through our um, mural uh, process again. And I appreciate your comment. For me, it's a matter of clarity. Mm -hmm. And also with the strategic planning um, information we received tonight, um, it's, I think, imperative that we ensure that the guidelines or at least the application really reflects that. And right now, I don't believe it does. And I don't think it's fair to people. I mean, if we're going to meet the needs of a diverse population, then we need to take it seriously. Great. This is Joshua. I'll agree with both uh, Denise and Jerry. Um, this is this, the kind of sausage making that uh, needs to occur. And But I don't think the retreat is the place for that. Um, but if that can be the place where 
an ad hoc committee, especially among some new members, can be created uh, to, to devote their time and energy efforts to uh, further clarity, as Ms. Stone notes, uh, I think that'd be helpful and a, and a good use of our time. Thanks, thanks for that, Joshua. I would also add to that, that, that if you all are gonna set up an ad hoc uh, committee to do that, um, I would invite some muralists and some community artists uh, who, who participate in that stuff because that was um, last time we went through this, which was spurred on by a particular incident or a particular case, not incident, um, but a particular mural. Um, it was extremely helpful to have that community participate in our uh, you know our deliberations and 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 to get their uh, inputs into uh, into what we uh, ultimately ended up with. so i would I would encourage you all to do that again. Um, there are I mean, we have some very experienced uh, muralists in in uh, in the community, and their inputs will be valuable for that. And I think that's a great idea. Um, sorry, this is Denise. Um, and I actually have a few people in mind who could certainly participate. I think that's excellent. Great, all right. What else on the agenda? Oh, just wanted to share that the, um, still working with um, Adam Weigel of the transit um, division. And um, just a quick update on the transit art project. We um, went through the selection panel, went through the um, original entries and boiled it down to, I think about half, which is around five. And we're gonna conduct artist interviews on December 13th. So more information to come, but that's still in process as well. Although I just learned today that that, um, um, project is shifting as they're, you know, looking at the site and things. So, you know, with any construction project changes a possibility, which I think will be beneficial to the artists, might provide more opportunity for the artists to better integrate their work. And do we, thank you for that, Porter. Do we, so are, I mean, is there any sort of um, parameters like indoor versus outdoor? I know there's, you know, there's a, I don't know what you call it, a dock, you know, with an awning sort of a, a thing there for, for that and so forth. Is it, I mean, I'm just thinking about like, you know, viewing impact or whatever. I mean, if you put, I know there's an inside facility there, but I'm just, I'm a little, uh, I guess my question is, 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 is there any uh, bias about, you know, location of that where we could get the most, uh, you know, uh, viewable uh, sort of a, uh, location for, for the art. Uh, this is Porter Arneal. And yeah, that's certainly part of the conversation. You know, some of the limitations are related to construction and where, you know, it's a public facility designed for, for buses. So it, there are limitations as to where we can put this. And also at this point, it's a request for qualifications. So we aren't really choosing art per se. We're trying to select an artist who seems to be, you know, a good fit for this project. So 
we don't have, I don't have direct answers for you um, yeah. on that exactly, but we certainly are aware of that, you know, thinking and how can we do this? And, you know, part of the good conversations come out of these. Um, I'm really appreciative and Daniel may want to speak to this too. He's been participating in this. Uh, it's a really great group. I'm, I, I thought there was some really good comments, a lot of different good perspectives and the realization that even though this is, you know, a building, a facility specifically for a purpose, it's also a very visible place. Um, right there on Billings, um, Bob Billings Parkway, you know, on, on that part of campus down by the lead center. And so, um, and also we'll have a presence both day and night. So we're, we're very aware of all that stuff. Great. Yeah. Hey, Daniel B. Smith. Um, yeah, just, I think speaking to your question about visibility um, and whether it be, you know, consideration of indoor versus outdoor um, I think the simplest way to say it is just that everybody involved is is very open to uh, a number of different directions. So there is potential that it will be in an indoor uh, installation, although it, people are definitely valuing um, the sort of uh, the street appeal or the, the, the idea that, you know, people driving by might want to be able to um, see, see what's going on as well. So um, nothing is nothing is excluded, but um, I definitely do hear what you're saying as far as uh, trying to make it something which is kind of a, a noticeable uh, landmark for the arts. Great. I, I think my, my question is, and it, this could be literally coming out of ignorance on my part, but I mean, when you know, when I think of transfer facility, I think of people getting off of one bus and getting onto another. And, and so I, you know, I, I sort of, in my mind, I visualize people, you know, on a platform or, or whatever. So anyway, that, that was sort of the gist of my question. So thank you. I appreciate that. And Daniel, I appreciate your involvement in the, in that and following that closely. Um, here I have one other request um, that I think we can decide at this point. I don't think it has to be a formal decision. Um, as you know, when we do the annual retreat, we typically cancel the monthly meeting. And I just want to make sure that's amenable to everybody is go ahead and cancel the, the um, I think it would be January 12th in lieu of the annual retreat if everybody's amenable. I would like, I would make a motion that we cancel that meeting in lieu of the annual retreat. I will second that motion, Daniel B. Smith. Can we do a show of hands, all in favor? Everybody's in favor. Yeah. I think that works. And again, that's tradition, so I don't think there's any surprise there. Great, I thank you. Okay, I didn't see a hand from Joshua or Jordan, but. In favor. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Jordan. Joshua, are you are you in favor of um, put, of canceling the January meeting in lieu of the uh, annual retreat, the normally scheduled January meeting? Since I won't be there anyway, uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> is that is that a threat or a promise or? No, I mean we got the fact meeting. According to Porter, that's my last obligation is the annual meeting. So, or the annual retreat. So whatever happens after that at the typical meeting, yeah, I don't, that doesn't, 
Thumbs up. Can't, can't be concerned with that. Okay, so that is unanimous, Porter. Add it. Thank you. All right. Uh, so we have reached uh, the well. We've nearly reached the end. I suppose we we should um, give anyone an opportunity to speak on any miscellaneous topics that they would like to. Uh, mention at this point before we uh, before we adjourn. Hearing none, I would entertain a motion for adjournment. Mary Dumpton, I so move. I second. All right, all in favor. Aye. Let's let's do it this way. Is anybody opposed to adjourning the meeting? I think you're good. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you all for your um, willingness to donate your time and talents to this group. I appreciate it. Thanks, everybody. Happy holidays. See you all.